Hello, 11 a.m. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to church at 11, y'all. How's it feel? Are we doing okay? Yeah? Um, me too. Uh, thanks for asking. <laughs> I actually can't get this mic stand to work, so I don't know how great I'm doing, to tell you the truth. Um, for those of you who may be, um, I got it. Thank you, Chris, though. <laughs> you just go ahead and send me home if I couldn't make that work. Uh, and for those of you who may be new to Christ the King, welcome. It's really great to have you here with us. Um, I'm Ashley. I'm uh, the priest here, and this is our first Sunday of having two services, so our first um, time worshiping at 11 a.m. together. And there are a few things that um, actually are changing this week. You may have noticed um, it feels different on a, on a few levels. And so I want to talk about some of those shifts and changes just that are marking our life together uh, before we look at the Bible and uh, hear what Jesus might have to say to us um, through the Scripture and pray and, and all that stuff. But just to help get us on the same page and kind of get us oriented to our moment. Um, I was aware, made aware, last night as I was um, sitting with Josh, my husband, he reminded me that actually a year ago this weekend, um, this like very Sunday, was our first Sunday ever in this building. Uh, and it was my installation service. If you'll remember, um, those of you who were around anyway, um, Bishop Todd came uh, from out of town. He was here, and I was formally installed as the priest. And uh, for those of us, the 70 or so of us who had been gathering at the prayer room and then had our first worship service here, uh, that was a big day. And we truly had gone, you know, from about, you know, 717 to 70 or so of us. Um, and here we were. And then the last time we were all together in this building, there were over 270 of us. And just to name that in one year's time, that's a lot of change. And um, I was talking with Catherine just a little bit before, you know, like if you are somebody who doesn't particularly love change, um, I just want to call that out a name. I, I sense in myself, you know, just like the older I get, the more resistant I am to change. And there's been a lot of it in my life the last couple of years and last year in particular. And that's probably true for those of you at Christ the King and then elsewhere. But with that growth, one of our commitments to you has been like, y'all, I just, I came here from Atlanta about a year ago, really curious like, what on earth is God doing in Northwest Arkansas that makes me feel so sure that he wants an Anglican church there, wants me and Josh to be there, wants us to be with you? And I didn't have any answers to that and could only say, you know, I, I, got, you know, I feel pretty sure. <laughs> you know, in the way that humans can be sure, and which is only ever so sure about when it comes to God, you know. Uh, but it feels really good a year later to be able to say, no, I feel like really sure that there's something specific that God wants to do. And I don't, you know, it doesn't have so much to do with being Anglican, but I am increasingly confident that it might have something to do with what we're calling a kind of three streams formation. And I want to, for those of you who are here at our members meeting, you heard me talk about this already. And I, God wants to do a lot of things. I'm not pigeonholing him or limiting him by any means. And I don't, I'm so glad we're not the only church in Northwest Arkansas doing the kingdom work because there needs to be a lot of us. But I am increasingly curious and even certain that there's something about this call to be what we have said, shaped by scripture, enlivened by the spirit and strengthened by sacraments, that these three streams, these, these three commitments to scripture, to the spirit and to sacraments would not just shape our life together on Sunday mornings, but would increasingly begin to shape like our Christian discipleship, our formation, because those three things really do have a lot to do with how we engage with God and how we engage with each other and the kind of people we end up becoming. 
And so there's something about this moment in time here that I just feel, and I want to say to you all, like, increasingly very excited <laughs> that I get to be a part of whatever it is that God wants to do in that. And if I remember meeting, we talked about our increasing clarity with respect to our vision and values, our rule of life, what we're actually going to do together. And if you're curious about any of that stuff, we have it recorded, and I'd love to give it to you. If Christ the King is going to be home for you, I'd love for you to know what that stuff is, because I have spent the last year, <laughs> my first two newcomers meetings, when people would show up to be like, all right, tell us about the church. I would end up saying things like, really glad you're here, and I am here, and we are Christians, and we are Anglicans, and I am sure God is doing things, but I'm not going to pretend to be clearer about that than I really am. And so what's very cool is a year later, I got more to say than that. I feel more sure and steady and um, confident in what he's doing, and that doesn't, you know, still lots to learn. But with that clarity about internal things, values, vision, you know, things he's called us to be, we've also got increasingly clear about other things, um, like, oh, I don't know, design work. <laughs> um, and here's the thing I want to say about this. And by design work, I mean, effectively, our logo. And you may be somebody for whom, in churches especially, um, you feel sort of innately cynical when it comes to things like marketing and advertising and words like branding. Um, and you should be. Uh, all of us feel probably, to some degree, a little bit cynical about marketing and advertising, given that everywhere we look, we're being marketed to or advertised to, and it's exhausting. And so I am also, by nature, pretty cynical about those things. Here's what I'm not cynical about, however. Art. Symbols. Symbols, this one, first and foremost, have a way of saying something about who we are, what holds us together. They tell stories that words can't tell. Words, of course, are also only symbols. This symbol, communion in particular, it says something about what we believe, who we believe Jesus is. Every week we can't hold him and see him in the same way. So what we can hold instead is the bread and the wine, you know? I get to look at you in the face and offer you the life of Jesus. All of that symbolism is shaping our life together. It's telling a story about who we are and what matters to us. This, this symbol here is also like telling a story. It's saying something about like who we are and our, our life together. And I think that that matters. Art matters. At its best, that's what it's meant to do is like tell a story, say something that we can't say with our words outright in the same way. And so you're going to notice, I'm pointing it out because it's on your bulletin, it's different. Our website's different. So those things have changed, and we've been hard at work trying to tell a story about who we are. And so on our website, our newsletter, we're going to be explaining to you some of these changes. I didn't want to just change it and not say something about it, which is why I'm explaining it to you now. That's new. So we've got two services. That's new. We've got new design work. That's new. And then another important shift this week is that we're launching community groups. That starts this week, some of you are going to begin gathering in homes. This is your first week doing that as a community group. And in those groups, we're going to be practicing prayer together. And here's why I'm talking about that right now. Um, is because the language practicing prayer is in and of itself, like it kind of raises a question. Everybody prays. Do you know what I'm, I mean? Even, maybe unless you have the faith of an atheist and you have decided to absolutely not pray, because it violates your convictions. Most humans pray, whether they're Christian or not, or whether they have a religious affiliation or not. It's just sort of intuitive. We cry out to God. We think about our life together. That's true. So 
prayer as a practice for Christians means we're trying to be intentional about the way that we pray. Everybody prays, but when Jesus called us to pray, he called us to do something specific, like an apprentice. An apprentice, when an apprentice starts something new, they have to practice the thing to get better at it. When Jesus called us to pray, and he called his disciples to pray, he was saying there's a way to do this that is different from just doing it generally. There's a specific kind of prayer, a specific way to pray, and I want to teach you how to do that. It's why the disciples asked, do you remember? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. These were devout Jews. They'd been praying their whole lives. There was something about the way Jesus prayed, though, that was different. And here's why I'm curious about that, y'all. Because for the last number of weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven. We'll talk about it more here in a second. In other words, there's something about praying in a specific way, praying in the way of Jesus that makes the kingdom of heaven more present, more real to us. We can enter into the kingdom of heaven, to what Jesus is doing, through praying like he prayed. Don't just let me say Christian words at you. Let's think together about what that means. For example, if I were to ask you, hey, what is the kingdom of heaven? Jesus talked about it a lot. He talked about it more than he talked about anything else. And even when he wasn't talking about it, he was teaching about it and doing stuff about it. So what was he talking about? What does it mean? What is it? And if we were to go around the room, and we won't, even though I'm very tempted to because it's smaller in here and I'm very curious what you would say and I like learning from you. If we were to go around the room, I suspect we would all say different things. One of the ways that I've heard the kingdom of heaven defined, and I've defined it here for us this way, is this. The kingdom of heaven, when we talk about it, is the rule and reign of God, sort of unhindered. The unhindered rule and reign of God in the world, meaning God gets to do in certain spaces and in certain spheres what he wants to do. I was with our bishop this past week in Atlanta in a small room, and we were talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's been talking about it his whole life. Um, Bishop Todd, by the way, who was here for my installation, was, he would say, this is his language, radically and totally saved when he was in his 20s. <laughs> he went to like an old school revival meeting and like did the altar call thing where he went down the aisle and he was like, my, just, I was this kind of person on the one side of that moment and this kind of person on another side of that moment. It just radically changed his life. And like two weeks later, he had a guitar and a Bible, and he went to plant a church in West Virginia. <laughs> and now he's very Anglican. So the man's had a long life with Jesus, just like staying close to the Lord. And he's been really hooked on the idea of the kingdom of heaven since then. Like, Jesus talked about that all the time. What was he talking about? And so the way he illustrated it for us when we were in Atlanta, I've heard him do this before. He got a mic stand, which I won't get, but he took a mic stand, and he picked it up, and he moved it, and he put it in front of him. And he said, this mic stand... I have the will and the power, the ability to move this mic stand the way that I want. It, is, it can be bent to my will in this space. I move it, pick it up, put it here. When we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about a space in which God's will works the same way. God, in effect, has the ability, the agency, the power, the freedom to pick up mic stand and move it here to do what he wants to do. In heaven, his will is unhindered. It's not unhindered everywhere. 
not unhindered in my own heart even, because I'm not a robot. God has not programmed me and bent me to his will in that way. I have agency. I make choices, oftentimes against him, in ways that I wish that I wouldn't choose against him. The world, the natural world, whether it's making a choice or it's just because it's inherently broken, bends against God's will. I mean, y'all, what's happening in Morocco right now, this morning? Do you think that the Lord Jesus looks at what's happening in Morocco and would say over heaven or over any of you, the kingdom of heaven, my will be done. No. Brokenness in the world is a real thing. In my own heart and in the natural world, it's broken. There were places, Capernaum being one of them, if you remember this story where Jesus wanted to go in and do stuff. Do you remember? And he was like, here I am. I wish I could do things here. But what was the issue? Do you remember? They lacked faith. And because of what was happening in their own hearts, and their own imagination, Jesus was hindered. The kingdom of heaven couldn't come in the way that Jesus would have willed it to come. What a fascinating idea. So when Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what he's announcing to you is, hey, look, in me, the will of God, the unhindered rule and reign of a very good and loving God is coming close to you. That's happening in the person of Jesus. And when you choose to live like him by his spirit, when you forgive in the way that he forgives, when you love in the way that he loves, when you practice generosity or you pray, then the kingdom of heaven moves in. I become a person marked by the rule and reign of God. Does that make sense? So when we use verbs about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is not a place up there. The kingdom of heaven is not something you do. The kingdom of heaven is literally, and we've, for those of you who are new, we've talked about dimensions a fair amount here at Christ the King over the last few weeks. Apparently, I've got a sci-fi streak. But language fails us. It really failed the gospel writers. How do you talk about a space in which Jesus can, oh, I don't know, walk through walls or walk on water? That's a kind of reality that I don't exist in all the time. And there is a space, y'all, which the reign of God, his will is unhindered, and that can happen in me and through my life. I can pray in a way so that I enter into it. I can become a kind of person who can forgive supernaturally, who can be generous in supernatural ways, according to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The rule and reign of God is close to you. It's right here. All you have to do is choose to come into it. Pray, forgive, love, serve your neighbor, and live into the unhindered will and reign of God in your life. And then the kingdom of heaven will come through you. Listen, y'all, that is good news. When we talk about the gospel, I have not even read from the Bible yet or actually officially began this sermon. I don't know if you've noticed, but my Lord. And so just, it is what it is. Here's what I want to say. If living in the South, in a largely and predominantly evangelical culture, has domesticated your view of Jesus or the kingdom of heaven, 
so that it is only for you about being good or going to heaven when you die, then good news, gospel for you is here, not in me, in the person of Jesus to say it is about more than that. The gospel is about more than that. You can become the kind of person through whom the heart of God can be made real to people. Now, in the way you live, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can be at work in your life so that through your forgiveness and through the work of your hands, heavenly things can happen. That is actually good news to other people. Do you know what I'm saying? We, like, the fact that I can go to heaven and that I can be a good person is, of course, good news to me. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's not true. That is true. The gospel means in eternity with Jesus for me. The gospel means that I become increasingly like him. That's true. But it's also true that the reign of God is coming through my life if I would open my heart and my spirit to the work of Jesus in it. Do you see? And that's good news for all of us. That's gospel. God's here. He wants to work in you and through you. So what does any of that have to do with Matthew 18, which is actually what we're supposed to read together, the text today? So what we're going to do, we're going to read the text, and in the very short time I have left, I'm going to connect the dots between what Jesus is saying about Matthew 18 and what we just talked about with the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Okay. Let's stand together. If we're able... We stand when we read the words of Jesus because his words, who he is, make us living people. Help us stand up. It's a reminder. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Jesus said, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector." Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and eyes to see Jesus, Lord. Help us hear you, Lord, through your word. Teach us the ways of your kingdom, Jesus. Amen. This passage is about conflict. And it sits situated, surrounded by lots of teaching about the kingdom of heaven. But here Jesus gets really specific, almost painfully prescriptive. Do you know what I mean? It's just really practical in a way that, if we're honest, in 2023 probably makes us uncomfortable. So many things to be said. Context always matters. Taking the Bible seriously always matters. So what is Jesus asking us to do and why? 
That's the question. Conflict is a given. The world is broken. Earthquakes happen, and good people who love each other have conflict. We will have conflict always, inside or outside the church. It's a reality. What Jesus is talking about is something specific, like prayer that is particularly and uniquely Christian. Now we're talking about particular and unique Christian conflict. What do we do when we have it in our body? And by the way, in the early church, the church and the community was on a different scale. So two or three or ten was likely your church. And they would get together on occasion in environments like this that were bigger. When churches, little groups, would come together in big groups to worship all together. But your community, the one that you need to be thinking about, is a small group of people who can actually know you and have access to your real life. Jesus is saying, in those groups, you will have conflict. And when you do, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the person with whom you have an issue, and I want you to try to work it out. Just the two of you. Talk about it with other people. Go directly to this person. We could spend an entire sermon about that. Because what is our instinct when we feel mad at somebody? Where do we want to go? Everywhere else. And Jesus is saying, go there. Try to work it out. And if you do, if you read the first verse, Jesus says, if they listen and you are able to reconcile, then you will have regained your brother or sister. Important difference. And I'll say as an aside, in in RSV, it's translated as a member. In the Greek, it's brother or sister. And to me, and I don't take issue with NRSV often, but that's a miss. Because member, it means effectively the same thing. But I'm just going to say, lots of people attend church. We are now talking about people who are connected to one another in Jesus, who are actively trying to follow him together. If you have an issue with somebody like that, you know in the Lord, then go to them. And if you can work it out, he uses a very interesting word. He says, you will have regained that one. And I've often thought that was such an interesting way to put it. What am I regaining? If conflict has taken something, then reconciliation or resolution has caused me to regain it. This language gets used a lot in reference to money, which is also interesting in Matthew's Gospel. So what else do you gain in Matthew's gospel? Well, you gain to, um, talents. So in the parable of the talents, for example, this is the verb that gets used. If I give you some and you do well with it, then you gain two more. Same language. And I think that's a curious way of putting it. Jesus is saying, in other words, there is value in our relationships to one another, our connection, our communion. There is actual value. It's a resource that can be lost and gained. And I think that's helpful because what it does, I think Jesus knows this, what we understand is money. Money is a made-up thing, actually, but it is very, very real. Am I right? And we understand it. So what if we think about it this way? Your love for one another, your Christian communion, is, according to Jesus, a kind of kingdom currency The kingdoms of the world, when they want to get stuff done, how do they get it done? It's not a rhetorical question. It's a real question. Remember, we're smaller now. We can do this. If I want to get stuff done in the world, how do I get it done? Money. 
If I want to build something, I got to have money. If I want to buy something, I got to have money. If I want to make something, I got to have money. Money is a currency. It's how we get stuff done. It's not, that's not a bad, or it's just facts. In the kingdom of heaven, we don't get stuff done in the same way. We're using a different kind of currency. And I wonder in part if what Jesus isn't saying is your relationships with one another, the peace that exists between Christians, the love that is facilitated when you forgive somebody, when you reconcile, that is a kind of kingdom currency through which the kingdom can get stuff done. John Wimber, who was the head of the vineyard, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the vineyard or know of John Wimber. He was a brilliant evangelist, also himself radically, radically saved. Um, And died too young. But John Wimber used to say, Christians are change in God's pocket. He can spend us however he wants. And I've loved, I've always loved that. Change in God's pocket. So what that means is if we have conflict with one another, at least in part it means this, and I go to you and we reconcile, I have regained kingdom currency. I've regained the relationship through which God can work to get stuff done. Does that make sense? Now there's peace here, and I could have chosen otherwise. In the absence of peace or reconciliation, there could have been anger or bitterness, which is the opposite of currency. It's a deficit. So think of yourself and your relationships with the people you love as a bank account because we're Americans and we understand it. It's a crass analogy, but think of it that way. Every time I work for reconciliation or I choose peace over conflict or I choose humility over pride, or I choose forgiveness over bitterness, all of that is like cha-ching, 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 because we get it. It's like a deposit in the account that is my life and your life and our collective life. When we choose otherwise, we drain the account, and there's no currency through which the kingdom of God can come. He can't work through bitterness, y'all. He won't. He cannot work through our collective anger, the anger we won't let go of. Anger has a place. Please hear me. As you might imagine, I experience anger from time to time. It's a familiar feeling in my life. And it is not, thanks be to God, a sin to feel. I often remind myself. What I choose to do with that anger or what the anger does to me is a different matter altogether. If I hold on to the anger and I like it and I feed it and I tend to it more than I tend to peace or reconciliation or forgiveness, then it takes me out. It makes me less effective. And that's just true. And the reason that I think this is so powerful is because what Jesus is saying ultimately, the why behind the how of reconciliation, is that if we don't choose to resolve our conflicts as the church, then the kingdom of heaven is compromised. It's bigger than you and that person. It's all of us. And conversely, when we're working together to work our stuff out in love and peace, then the kingdom of heaven can advance through that. And that is powerful stuff. So much stronger, so much more powerful ultimately than money. The why, it matters. Romans, the reading. Love If you're not motivated by love, if you're not motivated by the kingdom of heaven, which is a good reason to get over it with somebody, let me just tell you, at certain times, it's been the only reason I could come up with for why reconciliation really mattered. 
I don't particularly want to work through this. And today, I don't particularly care if you are in my life or not. I have felt that way. If you've ever felt that way, it's a very human thing to feel. But I will tell you in humility as someone who understands that feeling is never worth holding on to at the expense of what God would do otherwise. You know what I'm saying? Ultimately, I want the Holy Spirit more than I want to hold on to my petty grievances or my big grievances. Ultimately, I want whatever God wants through my life more than I want those things. And so it's an incentive for doing the really hard work. And how we do it matters. Jesus gets pretty practical. And so I want to say a thing about the practical really quick before we close. He says this, if you have an issue with somebody, go to that person If they listen to you, great. You've regained something. If they don't listen to you, find a couple of people, and here's an important thing, who you both trust and love. Don't go get your mom and your sister to come and have a conversation with a person with whom you've had a disagreement with. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What we're after is not being right. If I wanted to be right, I would find two or three people who already agree with me, and then we would just be a chorus of me, and that would feel good to me. But I'm not after being right. What am I after? The kingdom. I'm after reconciliation. I'm after understanding. I'm after the good that God wants. And so if, I, if that's true, well, then I need to find a couple of people that we both love and trust to create a safe space so we can talk about this. And then if that doesn't work, Jesus says, go to a bigger group, go to the church, a wider group of people. Explain what's happened. And if they agree with you, this wider group of people of different perspectives, if they agree with you, then you can safely assume this person is holding on to something and refusing to budge. And then Jesus says, they are to you like a Gentile or a tax collector. And for those of us who have a tendency towards spitefulness, this is the best thing Jesus could ever say. (laughs) great I finally have Jesus endorsing my instinct to cut people off or cut people out and separate from them he gives me permission to do it unless alas how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors there's always a catch with him you know just when Peter was like, yes, he's wrong and he's a Gentile. He's wrong. He's a tax collector. Cut him out. Then Peter has to remember, oh, wait, there was that time with the Syrophoenician woman who was a Gentile. And Jesus applauded her wisdom in front of everybody. And there was that time when Jesus encountered Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and he went to his house and had lunch. In other words, the heart of God is always about the business of redemption. And there are going to be times, y'all, when relationships change. They just do. They have in my own life. I have worked through really hard things with really wonderful Christian people, And gotten into a place where it's like, we can say, I forgive you. We have healing here. I love you. 
But the relationship is never the same. You know what I mean? Compromised somehow. My family, whom I feel that way about, that's real life. The goal is to be able to sit with Jesus in peace and say, I didn't want to hold on to my hurt, though, more than I wanted what you would do. And to the best of my ability, I have done everything I know how to regain my relationship with my brother or my sister because their life matters to me. And if you can say that before the Lord, peace. But if you know you can't, and only you can know, then this is an invitation from the Holy Spirit to just ask Jesus very practically to show you how to fix it in the way that he wants you to, if he wants you to. What would you have me to do, Lord? How do I make it right so that your kingdom can come in me and through me? What needs to be said that hasn't been said? What do I need to check in myself that I haven't? And this is what I love about Jesus, is that one minute we can be walking on water and talking about alternate dimensions, and the next minute it's this painfully practical, you know what I mean? Such is our life with him. He's good that way.